of time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? Travelled from Gatwick, which is always a, an horrific ordeal at the best of times, so at least we know things can't get any worse. Something, something, Daleks. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark, and welcome to All of Time and Space. So we've done it, we've reached the end of another season, and we've got another really great guest lined up for you. But first things first, let's get up to speed with where we are in the story. Stranded in Victorian London, separated from his TARDIS and forced to cooperate with the Daleks, it seems the Doctor's luck has finally run out. The Daleks are searching for the elusive human factor and want the Doctor to help them find it. With Victoria and Jamie held captive, the Doctor has no choice. An army of Daleks stands poised to conquer the universe. Will the human factor be their ultimate weapon? We'll find out after this. For centuries now, men have searched for the greatest secret of all. The transmutation of metal into gold. To possess such a secret would mean power and influence beyond all imagination. And I am about to discover the secret. Nothing will stop me. Nothing. Nobody! I don't seem to be able to remember uh, the date and where I am. You're in my house, some miles from Canterbury. The date is June the 2nd, 1866. Creatures burst out of the cabinet, invaded the house. They ordered me to steal a box belonging to you and thus lure you into a trap and transport you here. I see. The Daleks say I'm going to do something for them. Something I would rather die than do. If I agree, it means the creation of a race of super Daleks. And now they've got Jamie. We are all of us the victims of a higher power. Inhuman monsters. Inhuman creations of the devil. I told you it was possible. It's true, it's true. The experiment is ready. Make him begin the test! What have you done with your infernal meddling? <laughs> Don't go near the door, Doctor! Take me to your Emperor! They've turned him into a Dalek! Yes! The Dalek Factor! Welcome back, and we have been joined by one of our favourite podcasters. It's Adam Leslie from RetroTube. Hello, Adam. Hello. Thank you hey. for inviting me on. It's lovely oh, to hear you. This is great. Yeah, lovely to be here. 
How We're are both you? mega fans. I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to talk about the greatest Doctor Who adventure ever. Oh. Um, well, um, I, I might have got the wrong one in the diary oh, then. Yeah. Um, a bit early for Horns of Nyman, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, before we get too far into that, Ian, I believe we have some other business to attend to first. We do. This is going to come as a huge shock, I'm sure, uh, mm. Adam, but I'm afraid it's time for you to face the mind probe. What? No, not the mind probe. Lovely. Beautiful. Um, yes, uh, and I've, I've not written it down this time, so I'm going to have to try and do this from memory. Oh but satisfy the mind it. probe, something, something, return you to your customary time and place. But if you fail the challenge, my evil and slightly sweaty henchman, Castellan Cockrum here, is just desperate to toss you vigorously into the time lash. Oh dear. That sounds appalling. Oh dear, indeed. It's, it's, well, I mean, you know, some people have recovered, other people have not recovered. It's Not it's, so much. Uh, mm. Yeah. So I don't think I, Harry's ever going to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, indeed. So I have, and so the, the, the usual format is I try and have as many questions as there are episodes in the story we're talking about. But I, I ran aground after thinking of six questions. So ah. it's just six general knowledge questions for you today. Are you braced and ready? I certainly am. Very much so. Then let us begin. Traditionally, Hurrah. we should start with question one. Which okay. 1994 non-fiction novel about an antiques dealer on trial for murder was filmed by Clint Eastwood in 1997? You know, that's a very good question. It is, isn't it? It separates yeah, the wheat I, from the chaff. <laughs> it does. I admire that kind of question asking. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a prince among questions. This waffling isn't going to win you any points, Adam. And uh, it as, is. A fil as a film buff who obviously uh, works in a, a shop that sells DVDs and is the DVD buyer in that shop, then then obviously I know the answer to that question, you, or I should. Obviously, obviously yes, obviously. You, you I should. mean, Clint Eastwood, he's one of the most famous directors there are. He certainly is. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, the answer, let me tell you, mm. is uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Oh, well, look, I mean, I mean, obviously oh, Midnight in the Good... I thought you were asking a, a difficult question. Obviously it's Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yes, obviously. Well, I could have told you that. Well, you, well, if, well would that well, you had. You could have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to question two. How, and I, this is where I struggle to read my own handwriting. So, How many televised Doctor Who stories contain the word evil in the title? Ooh. So, I have to admit I'm less good on... <laughs> the 21st century Doctor Who episode uh, titles. Because there's so many of them. So many is, episode titles. Yes. So I can only think of two. 
This one and right. Planet of Evil. Okay. On the top of my head. Okay. So, I'm going to say two. Well, the correct answer is four. Uh, oh. We have Of the Daleks, Mind Of, Planet Of, and Face Of. And there have been none in the modern era. Oh. Unless I was, forgetting about, I was forgetting about the two that I forgot about. <laughs> yes, no, I know. Oh dear, I'm not doing very well. This is, this hey, is looking good for me. There's plenty of time no. to turn it around. I think this, this one's a slightly more friendly, impudent question that you'll get on with. Uh, mm. By what name is Douglas Powers better known? Doug? <laughs> oh. I think I can see Douglas where Ian's going with Powers. this line of questioning. Douglas Powers. He sounds like he sounds like the hero from a 1950s comic strip, <laughs> or a like he's a, or a, a, yeah, a racing driver from a comic strip or something. Oh, Douglas that would be amazing! Powers. A racing driver, Douglas yeah. Powers. He he drove for Simtech. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he drove one race in 1974 in the Italian Grand Prix for Simtech. Yes. Um, yeah. No, like when I listen to this podcast, obviously when I'm listening to it, I, I'm thinking, you people, what's wrong with you people? You don't know any of the answers mm. to these really mm. blindingly obvious questions. Now you're faced with the tinsely death. It's not so <laughs> easy, is it? I'm going to be floating around in space. Uh, no, I have oh. no idea. I've never heard the name before in my life. Okay, well, Douglas Powers likes to be known by the pseudonym... Doctor Evil. Oh. Yeah. Oh, is that a um, Austin yeah, Power? Of course, it's, it's an Austin Power. Of course. Yeah. Mm. I only, I've only seen the first one. Oh, really? Mm. Oh dear. Well, you, you, uh, you work in a shop that sells DVDs, <laughs> so I would strongly urge you to see yeah. the other two of those. Yeah. The second um, one's good. The third one. Mm. Uh, Okay, bit of a bit of a retro toy question next. Okay. What was the hugely popular 70s and 80s toy that propelled a small plastic motorcyclist from a clockwork red ramp? It was It was like a little evil Knievel sort of thing, wasn't it? It was the evil Knievel stunt cycle. Oh wow! There we you're, go. You're, you're off. You're off to the races. Right. So <laughs> the six questions. So is there a, like a tiebreaker? If I get three Adam, right, and Adam. Fiddle. Let's be honest. You're oh. racing down a red ramp into <laughs> the time lash. I'm never to return. Ever the optimist. If you get the other two questions right, I will yeah. try and think of a, a tiebreaker. But okay. as I say, I, I petered out rather pathetically at six. <laughs> so we might have to come back at the end of the show for the tiebreaker. Oh. Question five, in the meantime. Who recorded the classic album Live Evil? That would be... Live Evil. This sounds like heavy metal. So that would probably be someone like Ozzy Osbourne. Do you know what's weird is I'd completely forgotten the answer to this question. I knew <laughs> I knew there was such a record, and in my head it was probably Ozzy Osbourne as well. It was actually Miles Davis. Oh, oh okay. Mm. Mm. And for 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 very little reward at this point. <laughs> but the final question, Agatha Christie of course, wrote the novel Evil Under the Sun. Mm. My question to you is, was it a Marple or was it a Poirot? 
Mm. That sounds very much like a Poirot. You are correct. I, d- I don't think Miss Marple went very far afield. She no, I mean, evil under the the forty three bus up the road is probably about the <laughs> just down the road from me where that was set. Oh, really? Oh. Burr Island. Well, we've oh. we've the quiz has collapsed into a sort of a, a series of uh, memories of Miss Marple at this point. So perhaps mm. we should draw a veil <laughs> over it and, <laughs> and never speak right. of it again. Just making well, a I... mental note to dig out the Wilhelm scream for the end of the show. Right, okay, <laughs> yeah. it's done. Okay. <laughs> well, I did extremely badly. It was poor. Yes, it was very it was poor, very Adam. Poor. And I've been say. on the I'm... chase. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. that's quite disappointing, really, isn't it? Who, Who are you up then? against? Who was I up against? I was up against um, Sean. Oh, oh I, I always feel like he's the easy one. I don't mean any disrespect Ooh. by that, obviously, but of the of all of them, when he's on, you think, yeah, they've got a chance. Yeah, I d- didn't win though, <laughs> as you might imagine <laughs> from that display, that pitiful display. Had the questions been about 1967, I might have been in with a chance. Mm. Ah, maybe. Well, what was happening in 1967, Mark? Oh, a little thing called the Evil of the Daleks oh, was yeah. one thing for sure. Oh, yeah. We ought to talk about it, I guess, really. Mm. Yes. Um, this one, I don't remember ever reading a, a Target. Was it one of the later ones that's now virtually impossible to get? Yes. Yeah, I do seem to remember reading somewhere that they're going to... Because they bring them, they brought out a lot of the others uh, as audiobooks, and I've got a feeling that's coming up fairly soon, so it's probably going to be out by the time this actually gets released into the wild. Um, so yeah, no target for me. I think the first time I had a crack at this one would have been the audio, with a bit of linking narration. I'm I'm not going to ask Ian because it's going to be pretty obvious because it's the same answer every time. <laughs> oh Mark, uh, how wrong you are! Oh, how wrong you are! Oh, I okay. too bought the uh, the double cassette audio version in 1993, uh, mm. which was the soundtrack to the TV episodes and. I want to say the recording narration was Tom Baker. Oh, I didn't have the tape. Oh, I got I the uh, the CD one, and I think that was. And I remember. Hines, I, I remember obviously, sort of, you know, probably my paper round money or something was mm. was earmarked for that. I don't know, looking back, why I why I felt so strongly about it. Why I thought I wanted to buy it, or I thought you were going to say, looking back, I wonder why I was doing a paper round in my twenties. <laughs> Oh, I only I only gave up last year when I left the UK. Ah, yeah. yeah, keeps you fit. Yes. Hmm. Okay, and Adam, what's your relationship with this one? How far back does it go? I have two very different and contrasting answers. So, mm-hmm. episode two, I saw at Panopticon Eight in 1987, shortly after it had been Ooh, returned. Oh, get you! I know, well fancy. So in mm-hmm. in the big main hall with all the Doctor Who fans and the lights went down nice. right at the beginning of uh, the Saturday. So it was a two day thing: Saturday, sun- Saturday, and Sunday. And Saturday morning, right at the very start, we got to watch this and the existing episodes of the Faceless Ones that had both been recently found. Nice. So that was very exciting. Mm. And then the other six episodes uh, last week. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, which brings us back to Ian. Yeah, um, you, had, uh, you, I'm the, <laughs> you I'm bought the this Ian on DVD, didn't you, Ian? Well, so I wanted to. 
watch this one, you know, quite in a, not all in one go. I wanted to enjoy Mm. it. It's held Mm -hmm. up to be a classic. So I ordered it over a month ago from a famous American chain bookstore who shall remain nameless. Um. And uh, it was an in-stock item. So it said three to five days when I ordered it a Mm -hmm. month ago. It turned up on Friday afternoon. So I watched Mm. it all in one go yesterday morning. Cool. Yeah. Do you find that helped the experience or not Um, so much? I found it, you know, when someone drops a sort of a, a, a lorry's worth of cement on you. And you're sort of pinioned <laughs> oh, yeah, helplessly to the floor. Um, mm. I, I felt very much like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, did you decide you wanted to sort of go straight to the excellent episode and watch that back as a a way of trying to get an idea of what it was really like, and then go into the the animation? Uh, no, I watched the setting where it just starts the animation and then drops in the actual ah, episode okay. two, and, yeah. and then carries on from there so it was, mm. uh, so you got some interesting contrasts of hairstyles from how they were yes. how they were animated <laughs> and how they were hideously mm. realized in, uh, in in the studio <laughs> interesting yes. contrast of faces as well mm. yeah there was there was a lot of um a lot of uh, I, I, I can't think of a, a, a polite way of putting it there was a there was a significant difference, as we used to say in psychology. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the the Cockney henchman in the animation was the spit, spitting image of Mike McCartney. Ah. <laughs> but less so in his little clip at the beginning of episode two, before he gets yes. exterminated. Oh, yeah. Kennedy, yeah. Yes. That's he reminded thing. me of um, a young Terry Malloy. Yes, yes, I saw that. I know what you mean. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this the story starts off, it's... It's one of those 60s things, isn't it, where you've got the continuation of the the story before. So the TARDIS has been nicked by some unscrupulous types with a flatbed, and the Doctor and Jamie are trying to track it down. So this all happens on the same day as the events of the War Machines as well, which is it's a very, you know, if you were to try and make sense of the uh, the timelines it could get very confusing I didn't know that I didn't sure. know that and no. I've just watched yeah. it are you absolutely yeah. sure absolutely Was, yeah were Ben and so, Polly returned on the exact same day the same day they left oh yeah. well then how right you are yeah and uh, do you remember I don't know if you remember now Hartnell at one point during the um, war machine says I've got this strange sensation like when the Daleks are near and of course they are near Wow, I, they've set up. They've set up shop in an antique shop. I do remember that. That's uh, yeah. that's a wonderful callback. Now um, I'm going to suggest that was probably more luck than judgment, but you know. Oh, yes. surely not. Surely not. <laughs> Come on, you, you <laughs> cynical pair of gentlemen. Surely, <laughs> surely David Whittaker thought I know how to tie up the last year of Doctor Who in a neat bow. <laughs> <laughs> Where's David Whittaker, and he's uh, he's heralded as one of the the better writers. It's fair to say. Yes, I, I, th- I think uh, I think he did a pretty decent job, all told. I know this might be sacrilege. I may argue that he does a slightly better job than Terry Nation of writing the Daleks. But oh yes, absolutely. What do I know about writing? Not no, I think um, I think Terry Nation essentially just wrote them as baddies. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
It's in, certainly the more interesting way. Dalek stories have been penned by, or at least partly by, other people, for me anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think Terry Nation was mainly only interested in creating boys' own adventures with... Well, obviously he set he he created the Daleks to be Nazi surrogates, mm-hmm. but even that was I don't think there was much depth to that. I think it was mainly mm-hmm. just to have boys' own adventures, where yeah, in a, you know you'd have boys' own kind adventures, of pulpy sci-fi, yeah, it? the pulpy sort of thing where like if, again if it was in a comic book, you would be uh, they would be up against actual German soldiers, or if it's sci-fi, they'd be in up against German soldier ciphers uh, which the Daleks I think are so this I think is he's put much more thought into actually the ne- the, the, David mm-hmm. Whittaker has put much more thought into the nature of the Daleks and the nature of what it is to be a Dalek and what they might actually want this is a pretty wacky story isn't it mm. is it fair to say yes it's you do kind feel, of all over the shop you do feel way, like you've been on an adventure it has yeah. it has the three very distinct locations and time periods. So mm. starting out in contemporary swinging London, and then you because we're following on from the previous story, which was all just set around the airport. Which I know you had the odd little foray into outer space, but yeah, this seems a bit more exciting in comparison. It does. Yeah, from what I remember, actually, I think I've only seen one episode of The Faceless Ones, having said that. I don't think I've seen any of the others. <laughs> I'm not I'm not an enthusiastic uh, consumer of missing episodes, I must admit. Hmm. Oh. Well, it's been lovely having you on, Adam, and... Uh, <laughs> Although yeah, I did... just like to step into the, uh, the time lash. <laughs> Don't. I did uh, <laughs> recently watch Power of the Daleks, and I thought it was excellent. Hmm. Hmm, Yeah. Ian, not so much, but you know. Oh dear, it's not for, not for everyone. <laughs> I won't have heard that episode yet. No, no. Well, that's that's well, that's that's, drop. that's oh well, yes. I was going to say that's given given it away, but by the time <laughs> this episode drops, people will have heard that episode. So it isn't. Yeah, it'll so, be about five years ago. By so that point, yeah, yeah, just just cut this whole uh, thirty seconds out and just pretend I didn't yeah. say anything. What a mm. fool! Yes. I am. What a fool! <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so you've got the contemporary setting, and then we go right back to uh, Victorian times, and then we're off to Scarrow. It's, yeah, it's all over the place. It does feel like a proper adventure rather than the one, like mm. you say, the ones that are, just take place in and around a small location uh, can feel a bit. It's a bit static, maybe, but then this has got mm. seven episodes to play with, so it has to be a bit more expansive, otherwise, we'd mm. all be sound asleep. <laughs> and what do we make of the um, the guest cast for this one? There's um, uh, one or two memorable names that crop up. Yes, yeah, Bridget Forsyth, who yes, went on to become quite so famous with the Likely Lads, and with her very memorable delivery. She has a weird way of talking, <laughs> doesn't she? I thought you were doing she your Windsor does. Davis there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely boy. Show She's us your Mister Nod. Oh dear. <laughs> She's talking like <laughs> Margaret Dumont or something. She has, so mm. I can't even do it very well. I was I was watching this, trying to work up an impersonation of her, but it's a very weird delivery. It's okay, a very I'm going to make myself. Well. Sorry, I'm going to make myself look really stupid here mm-hmm. because there's something I that went over my head, and maybe I've missed something. So they wake up and they don't know where they are, 
and the maid comes through with the Alka-Seltzer or whatever it is to try and revive them and they make a point of saying oh no it's it's not Waterfield's house it's the house of Mr Maxtable and then there's this massive ginormous painting of uh, Waterfield's deceased wife oh yes I hadn't thought is of that. Is that not a bit odd? That's very strange now or you mention it. have I missed something it. there? No, I don't think you have. I think that... I think... I think that... Because obviously that's there to make sure everyone knows that uh, the, the woman in the painting is the absolute spitting image of her daughter. So I think you need to turn to the Virgin New Adventures, which explained what oh. happened perfectly well. Uh, the wife in question, having uh, had a child with Waterfield, then left mm. him and had a, a powerfully sexual relationship with Theodore Maxtable, uh, which only ended I mean, you couldn't blame he... her, could you? He's, no, uh, no, he's he a catch. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> ladies, yeah. Ladies like a man. Beautiful piercing like a, eyes. Yeah, yeah. Furry monster. <laughs> um, no, you're, I hadn't noticed that. I hadn't thought about that, which just shows how much they can get away with if you try and tell a story <laughs> with a certain level of brio. Um, but that's a that's a glaring error, surely. Mm. I think possibly mm. David Whittaker maybe just forgot. I think it, this is possibly the first draft, and he forgot which house, whose house it was. <laughs> because the whole family, Victoria's there as well, just like everyone. It's like they, they're housemates or something. Maxtable and Waterfield. I think he does at some point. He does say, I took you into my own home, so... <laughs> you and your giant That's... portrait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine him saying, oh, you know, please, I'm desperate. It's just me and my daughter now. My wife's died and we, we need somewhere to live. And then he's like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he rocks up with this 20-foot <laughs> portrait of his wife. Who looks a... His zombie wife. Yeah. It's not it a flattering picture, the, is it? In the, uh, in the animated version, you def- you, it's a far more flattering mm. portrait than, than what we get in the, uh, the actual extant episode. Yeah, must she be said. looks like she's some, some sort of banshee appearing through a, <laughs> a shroud of mist <laughs> there to bring ill upon the world. Whereas I, in the animation, I, yeah. she's quite pretty. So. Mm. I genuinely thought for a moment that was a plot point that... Like she's a monster. <laughs> His wife's a monster. <laughs> but no, she's no. rubbish. No, rubbish drawing. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of um, random toing and froing before the the plot really starts to hit its stride. I find mm. it's the whole thing with uh, Jamie being kidnapped by Windsor Davies for the uh, the posh twonk who lives down the road. Who Arthur Terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I didn't understand any of that. Like, I didn't understand why Arthur Terrell was hearing voices. I know he had some kind of control around his neck. The Daleks mm. were controlling him, it turns out. But I don't really know why or to what end or why Jamie mm. was being kidnapped. And uh, because Jamie was in exactly the right place for the Daleks to use him for what they needed to use him yeah. for anyway. So why... Why had this man hired Windsor Davis to kidnap him? Well, he didn't him? know himself because Windsor Davis is properly hacked off and he wants his money. And it's, yeah, yeah it's all, so to okay. club him over the head, take him to a barn, and I'll meet yep. you there. Then I'll be really confused. Hmm. Uh, and then we'll just take him back to the house. And, it, and everything will just proceed as it had been doing anyway without this interlude going on. Yes, yeah, so I, I suppose think- it helps to set the scene for... T- something weird is going on mm. above and beyond 
just Dalek intrigue. I think I think you you were right when you said it was the first draft of the story, and also he wrote it very much in order as he mm. went along, and mm. uh, that was a good cliffhanger having Jamie being kidnapped, but then very very swiftly, I think the the logic of doing that was lost to him, so it was brushed under the carpet. I do think it's possibly this idea of it's seven weeks, they'll never remember what was happening three weeks ago. Well, quite. I mean, it was ephemeral at the time, wasn't it? They, mm. they stick it on on a Saturday tea time and then it's gone forever. Yes, it's, it's the momentary excitement of having this confused man, uh, Arthur Terrell, <laughs> uh, with his mood swings, kidnapping people. And oh, God, like, Jesus, what's this can all you about? imagine? I know. Oh, was it, mm. Also, who was he? Was he dating Bridget Forsyth? Were they oh. a couple? I couldn't work but out. But he seemed to be very keen was. to work out what was happening with Victoria. Yeah, so. he seemed oh. obsessed with that, even though she's clearly mm. left him for, for Camel, and we'll come to that later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you can't blame her, can you? Well, I mean, no. Jesus. Give him the choice. Imagine if he's that moody all the time. Christ oh, on a bike. Yeah. You wouldn't know where you were coming or going, would you? Well, he'd oh, be, that's probably, he'd be. Do you want to come to the cinema? And then you'd meet him outside the cinema, and he'd say, "Why are we here? What's going on?" I, I didn't suggest. <laughs> I wanted to go me. to the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> What's a cinema? I love the cinema. Mm. We're going to see a film. I hate films. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like popcorn. What flavour are we having? <laughs> Actually, I've been on dates like that. <laughs> Um, yes, and Maxtable. We have to talk about Maxtable. Holy guacamole. <laughs> That's a hell of a beard. <laughs> it's the Karl now Marx the, look, isn't it? <laughs> it really is, yeah. It's the, the um, Marx. So the actor is uh, Marius Goring, mm. and uh, I watched a bit of the extras on the, the Blu-ray, and um, they were talking to a couple of the guys on the production team, and they are saying, oh, they really wanted him for the part, but they were a bit nervous about asking his agent because they thought, well, he's he's too big for us, you know, he's a big film star. But they just happened to know one of them lived down the road from him, so they just shoved the script through his door one day, hmm. and within no time at all, he was on the phone saying, yeah, I'd love to do it. Wow. So, yeah, that was quite a nice uh, bit of luck in the old casting. I mean, he is, he plays it well, but it's hmm. it's just a bit of a mental part isn't it ironically of course i mainly only know the name marius goring from doctor who these days well i mean all roads lead to doctor who yeah they? i think possibly his film stardom might have mostly faded into mm. faded out of living memory and he's he's just the fella from evil of the daleks with the big beard well i know he was in a matter of life and death but i couldn't tell you who oh, he yes, was of course in he a was, matter yeah. of life and death mm. so that's right. I yeah. forget who he was as well. Probably somebody really grumpy. Yeah, a hairy grump. But anyway, so then, <laughs> then we get to the crux of the the whole thing. So the Daleks have um, blackmailed Waterfield into luring the Doctor and Jamie back to Victorian times, so that they can do an experiment on Jamie to try and work out what the human factor is. Mm. How how did you feel that was? Uh, Handled. I, I think it could have been more weird and more interesting. So it mm. was just a bit of a standard Doctor Who caper. Jamie and mm. his new pal do some things. They have to duck under some dangerous objects. 
Uh, yeah. They have to rescue the damsel. But it's nothing. It's nothing particularly out of the ordinary as far as yeah. th- this. The whole those middle three episodes could have been written by Terry Nation. They're mm. quite standard romp. And the whole thing with him telling the doctor that he mustn't let Jamie know that he's being tested um, just puts that element of doubt into whether the doctor's a bit of a shit. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a very good episode. Very interesting episode for the doctor. Uh, But the build-up to this idea of Jamie being tested by the Daleks and the emotion that Patrick Troughton puts into that when it Mm, actually comes to Jamie being tested, it's maybe an anticlimax. It's. I mean, I would say that yeah. at the start of this episode, you were tested far more rigorously <laughs> than Jamie, who essentially had to walk down a corridor, duck, mm-hmm. and open yeah. a door. Um, and that's and that's the missing piece of the jigsaw the Daleks can't work out in their plans to enslave the universe. How do we have that kind of grit and resolve? And also, how do you move in a straight line along mm. a, a poorly realised BBC corridor? Mm. Yeah. Well, they they filmed a lot on location, didn't they? At this uh, really beautiful looking townhouse or a, a mansion sort know. of thing. Mm, yeah. I was going to beautiful say, oh, did they? I didn't even notice, and then I realised I'd watch an animation, so I wouldn't have noticed anyone. <laughs> yes, no, I same here, same here. I didn't really get a sense. I yeah, mean, I think it, it looked from... like a studio to me. Oh wait, no, hang on. <laughs> it looked like it would have been quite a large studio set had it been a studio set. Mm. So I'm open to the possibility that it was filmed in a, a stately home somewhere or, or something well, if you, like if that. If you crack into the uh, the extras, you'll they actually go back to the location to uh, to talk to some of the people involved, and you can see how much attention to detail the animators put into those uh, those backgrounds. They do oh, look really? really impressive. Yeah. I, ha- I must say, actually, because I got the colour animation and mm-hmm. uh, it did look gorgeous. Yeah. But particularly the backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, the lighting effects. Mm, yeah. It was really Very nice. impressive. Mm. Yeah. So hats off to them. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, we've been putting it off for a bit now. We really should mention Kemal, seeing as, you know, we've got into that yes. whole thing of Jamie being tested. His surname is Kemstead. <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're a genius. Mm. (laughs) Yes. um, So, uh, a very large, muscular Turk in sort of stark counterpoint to all the the people I know from that part of the world who who Mm. who don't tend to look that kind of menacing or imposing. Um, And we only got him in, in the animated form, so I don't know how he would have looked on screen. Yeah, there's some um, stills and things of him in the the extras on the on the disc. And, yeah, and says, did the animators do him justice? I think they did. Yeah, it's Sonny Caldinez who comes back next season as a monster, but we won't very oh, t- very go tall. into that just yet. Well, he's yeah. the first of two Turks who don't speak. Isn't um, Toberman Turkish? I think he's in the book. Is I he? I can't remember if he yeah, is canonically that. on screen, but I'm pretty sure I remember back in the 80s reading Tomb of the Cybermen and I think I think uh, Toberman was a Turk so it's just the 60s the 60s mm. habit of finding uh, a tall black lad put a fez on him he'll do he's Turkish 
Yes. Yeah. Even but don't though, let him speak. Even though Fez Jesus, is not really a Turkish thing, but never mind. It's, it's obviously it's about as far away as the BBC could geographically think. Like they, <laughs> yeah. couldn't, they couldn't cope with going the same distance again and getting, say, an Amani or a Kuwaiti or a Saudi. <laughs> no. They just thought, oh, Turkey's as, as far as the end of the earth, isn't it? So. Yeah, it's, it's like we, we'll get this... This lad from the Caribbean. That's probably what Turkish people are like. Yeah. He'll do. Yes. yes. We don't really. It's it's all exotic to us. <laughs> but I also but love they the idea. become firm friends, Sorry. don't they? And they yes. you know, it's, it's, yeah, he becomes this sort of heroic character, mm. doesn't he? Yes, who's, who's silent exactly like Toberman in one story's time. Mm. So it's a little bit of a pattern brewing. Yes. But I also like the fact that. He's Turkish, so he always wears the fez. In the mm. same way that Waterfield is Victorian, so even when he's in 1966, <laughs> he's still dressed as a Victorian. He can't, he can't yeah. put modern clothes on because he's a Victorian. If he took the Victorian clothes off, he'd stop being a Victorian. If you put a, if you put a Victorian in, say, denims and a, a nice shirt from Burton's, <laughs> they'd probably have some sort of compound breakdown and, and yes. not be able to function as a as a mammal. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. If you took uh, Kemmel's fez off, then he'd just stop being Turkish. He wouldn't know what was going on. Well, he'd he'd lose all his power. It's like Samson and the hair. You know, it's <laughs> Kemmel's. Kemmel's fez is the secret base of his power and strength. Bless him. But he was very likeable. I liked Kemmel, even mm. though he was an entirely a cartoon character to me. Yes, Lit- yeah, literally. Me yeah. Um, he was similarly likable to Toberman. He's, um, but of, but of course, like as with Toberman, of course he has to die at the end because that's what they're there for. Which is a shame because he's like, it would have been lovely, I think, just to maybe skip ahead and talk about this inappropriately out of sequence but can you imagine if the new TARDIS crew rather than having the damsel uh, the new companions were the big strong guy who never talks and the chirpy maid that would have been great (laughs) (laughs) I think that would have been a very uh, a very varied and interesting and lively mm. TARDIS team. I think there is actually I a big so. finished spin-off. I'm uh, sure there is. And obviously they don't need to hire another actor. They're only using one actor because there's mm. only one speaking part. So Exactly. Uh, oh, yeah, that's so right. No, I, I got I got was it was it Camel gets the hump? It was a, one of <laughs> one of the episodes of that spin-off. It was awful. <laughs> Nicholas Briggs played everyone. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, moving on, please, God, let's move on. Yeah, the Daleks. The Doctor Ooh. puts the old human factor into the Daleks. Discuss. Yes, thank goodness, because the Daleks are a bit of a bore, aren't they? They're very bossy. Mm, they can be quite, very, you know... Very shouty, very direct. They've got no sense of fun. Directional. Directional. Mm. <laughs> um... I feel I like think... I should shout that at some point during every single episode we ever record. For now. Yeah, I think um, that's the first of our uh, line of merch T-shirts. Just, uh, directional. Frankie, Frankie says directional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I think this is why I preferred Power of the Daleks. I I mm. hesitated on the word preferred because I don't know if that's giving too much away. Uh, I think this is why I preferred Power of the Daleks because the Daleks were a bit more interesting in that and they were uh, scheming and 
they seem to have a lot more variety and agency mm, in what they were doing and them, what they yeah. were thinking. They had the they had a cunning, plans. didn't they? They had a, mm-hmm. a cunning, but in this they were most, mostly just bossy. Yeah, shouting. Just like awful middle managers. Yeah, going, you haven't do. finished this yet. <laughs> instead, yeah. can you can you tidy up instead of just standing there? <laughs> Apart from Alpha, Beta and Omega. Well, this is when it starts to get interesting, yeah. Mm. And, they, and I like that. I, Unlike unlike you chaps, I was not a big fan of the chase. I have to say, how dare you! I know, and the uh, 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 Dalek in that I just found cringe, <laughs> cringy. But in this, it really oh. works because it's an actual thing. It's not just mm-hmm. it's not just being a bit wacky. It's actually, there's actually a point to it, and I found it quite eerie. These there are there's something quite creepy about yeah, them, isn't there? Mm-hmm. the dizzy doctor and their. And the doctor saying they're playing Jamie, and that's almost like chills down the spine moment. Because I'd heard about it, I've never seen the episode, but I'd heard about mm-hmm. this idea that the Daleks playing trains and chanting "Dizzy Doctor." And actually seeing it, it works really well. Yeah. So that's when yeah. this story starts to get really interesting. Five uh, episodes uh, in. Yes, it's very very <laughs> close to the the end of business, but. Uh... You get that scene where they're sort of, you know, continue your work. Why? Yes. That was, that was you know, every time you someone tells you you've got three hours to make a PowerPoint presentation for, <laughs> for Mr. Peterson. And you know, why? Why? So I will be internalising that and, and using it in my work rather more regularly. I suppose it was quite cool because growing up as a kid watching Dalek stories, you'd have these two factions fighting against each other but you never really knew why, mm. why? they were fighting each other whereas now <laughs> now we do know why yeah, so, yeah was, was that a, cool. a direct continuation of that I never I assume sure. so mm. I mean that's I don't know yeah I guess so mm. yeah it was very interesting although I felt a bit bad that the Doctor was just using them and we, we actually very quickly grow to like Alpha, Beta and Omega mm-hmm. but the Doctor is essentially just manipulating them to get into a fight with the other Daleks. Yeah. McCoy's got nothing on Troughton. He's no. a shady it's so-and-so, Especially he? because yeah. he, he, you know, he, he tells them, I'm your friend, I want to mm, share with yeah. you, I care for you. He doesn't mm-hmm. care for them, he no. just wants to use them. And it's it comes back to what you were saying earlier about this episode giving... Giving the Trout and Doctor a bit of a a bit of an exploration, and you know, is he a shit? Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly in this one and in the subsequent one as well. He's very mm. doing all these manipulative things and not behaving in a straightforward manner and not telling the whole truth to people. It's, I suppose an interesting way of of fiddling a little bit with the character after four or five years to try and keep it interesting and keep it fresh Mm. and this is one of the rare times that uh, the Doctor and Jamie actually have a proper spat normally they're best buds yeah Yeah, that was I I was very surprised by that I assumed it was going to be revealed that Jamie had known all along that the Doctor Mm. was you know wink wink nudge nudge but it was a very, again, very New Adventures kind of bit where the story breaks down mm. for five minutes so the companions and the and the Doctor can sort of shout at each other and have all kinds of psychological trauma. 
yeah, that made it quite interesting. It was. I mean, I do like. I do genuinely enjoy in the later, like season five and season six, the the Jamie and Doctor bromance, and it's all good, cozy fun. But this was quite interesting when actually, and I guess this is still quite early on in the Doctor and Jamie's relationship, so he doesn't still doesn't quite trust him. So it was quite an interesting element that actually they do properly fall out, and Jamie goes off. And he's got the right hump, and he doesn't want to talk to the doctor anymore. <laughs> and he's found a new best mate. Who won't talk to him in that irritating way. No. <laughs> or indeed, anyway. Anyway, whatsoever, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. And then it all kicks off, and they go to Scaro. And it's, um, I really like the way it was realised. Um, it's very very 1960s all the sort of angles and stuff yes yeah it was obviously we've had this running thread through this story that the Daleks are trying to find the human factor and then it turns out they were fibbing Mm. they weren't after the human factor at all which gets very confusing you think oh why did they bother going through all that if they were just gonna but anyway it was all a massive ruse to get the Doctor to spread the Dalek factor throughout human history. Yes. And the Dalek factor was something they were able to synthesise in response to receiving the human factor. So they were just... So, so it was like they were making a sort of distilled eau de cologne of Dalekness, <laughs> which they would have been able to do without any From of the story time. happening because they are very much Daleks. Um, so yeah, I, I was, was not clear on the story. Yeah, befuddled and bewildered and <laughs> faintly bemused. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I got the idea that they wanted the Doctor to find the, the human factor in order for them then to see, by contrast with that, what makes them mm. Daleks. Although I would have thought yeah. it was patently obvious what made them Daleks. Uh, but I might have been reading it wrong. I... I Again, I think it's possibly just David Whittaker writing very, very quickly. I'm not necessarily thinking thinking through like a cogent, complex, <laughs> interlocking plot, but something that seems like it probably is if you don't think about it much. And then you've got the whole uh, thing where it all spins because the Doctor has uh, been able to walk through the, the doorway that... Uh, turns poor Marius Goring into a Dalek uh, he plays a bit of a trick on the, the Daleks and and does a switcheroo mm. which I suppose is another way of reinforcing that he's an alien because I suppose they don't. he does talk about going back to his own planet doesn't he in this story yeah, um, he but mentions it's not something they've planet. really I know initially in the the very first story they talk about him being an alien, but it's not. Yeah, I think they this, haven't really. This is the, I guess, the second reference to that, hmm. um, which is very interesting. A, you know, what, why why bring it back and why mention it now? It's almost as if they were sort of seeding something. We we know they weren't, but hmm. Um, hmm. but it is still nonetheless seeding. I guess the war games. Yeah, and I suppose we've had the regeneration earlier this season, so um, you know it's we now know for sure that he's not just a regular human. So that's uh, 
that's working, I suppose, as a plot point to be able to allow him to escape and and do the old switcheroo on the uh, the gateway. Mm. With the, so so he had the Dalek uh, factor and he swapped it for the human factor, but then someone introduced the Max factor and and that. <laughs> am I am I misremembering? No, I think that's absolutely bang on. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And then all, all the Daleks looked fabulous. Yes. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, Maxtable didn't get the Max Factor, mm. ironically. I think he opted for L'Oreal because he's worth it. Mm. Well, there's certainly the, the very small amount of face that was visible under all that hair. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not Actually, worth it. He should have been Timothée, shouldn't he? Should've he been, really uh, should, yeah. He yeah. should have been underneath a, a leafy glade, <laughs> you know, washing his hair in a, in a waterfall. Yeah. Swinging yeah. in slow motion mm. as he mutters to himself about <laughs> transmuting base metal <laughs> into gold. Oh yeah, that's that's the other thing, isn't it? His, I think Waterfield gets a free pass because he was very much being blackmailed into doing the Daleks' bidding because he yes, was desperate to save his daughter. He's not a bad guy after all. Whereas Maxtable, let's be honest, he's a bit of a shit, isn't he? <laughs> well, he's yes. also, if you'll forgive me. He's also a fucking idiot. He's got <laughs> he's got time travel and alien beings going on around him, and there's a number yeah. of ways you could exploit time travel for mm. pecuniary advantage. Like maybe going back in time, getting some antiques getting, uh, as they're yeah, brand new, and then yeah, selling them, yeah. you know, in the or, future. Or going mm. back, getting getting all the gold, you know, before it sinks yeah. to the bottom in all those yeah. Spanish frigates. Mm. But but yeah. no, rather than do any of that with the technology which is at his fingertips. He's, yep. he's he wants to do his pet project of you know working out how to turn a lump yeah. of iron into some gold, mm. and uh, again we come back to the idea that maybe this was this was written on the back of a cigarette packet at a hundred <laughs> miles an hour with not much care and attention. Mm. <laughs> possibly, possibly, and uh, he's also a man who doesn't know much about inflation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, if only I lived in 2022. <laughs> Jesus. Yes, I hadn't thought of that aspect. <laughs> that, mm. yeah, why bother with the whole alchemy thing other than uh, David Whittaker's much vaunted and much discussed interest in alchemy and there's the parallel between turning uh, base metal into gold and turning humans into Daleks and Daleks into humans. So there's those alchemy parallels mm. Uh, Which is interesting. That's a, that, mm. is a, that is a nice yeah. link you've you've spotted there. I hadn't. No, me either. That's why we've got the smart people on as our guests. <laughs> they work it all out. We've got away with it this far, Mark. I don't think yeah. we should stop yeah, now. We've just been why, winging it. Yeah. yeah. Why move away <laughs> from a winning formula? I, I I sort of get the feeling that plot is maybe an inconvenience, and that David Whittaker is more interested in thematic. No. Uh, thematic development and them thematic ideas I, like, oh, yes. I have to do a plot oh. I, I feel like this story is a sort of on, on the one hand a magnificent sweep through uh, all kinds of locations and, and drags all the characters along with it in a fairly epic wonderfully uh, wonderfully defined way but when you look at the, the plot on paper it's bobbins Mm. 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 Of course, the other thing they have to add into this is the fact that Terry Nation has decided that 
he's going to go to America and launch his own Dalek series uh, overseas. So he won't Daleks be USA. them to be used. Yeah, he won't be allowing <laughs> them to be used in the Doctor <laughs> Who universe anymore. So this is effectively their swan song, and they're going to be written out. So the final mm. end was going to be that last episode, and then right at the eleventh hour when they've got all the explosives rigged to blow up all the Dalek props, they get a phone call to say, um, actually, Terry changed his mind. Yeah, you can still carry on using them, so oh. please don't blow them up. Wow. So they're then left with, like, well, I can't just it, that's, not blow them up. That's, that's what the whole thing's been leading to. That's not true, is it, Mark? Yeah. But then why, why, why did they not reappear for so long? Hmm, I wonder. Because... I mean, how do you know that? We haven't watched the rest of the stories yet, Ian. <laughs> Spoilers, Mark. I have watched. I have watched some of this show oh. before. You know, um, oh, well, I, we, we're nearly forty episodes into this. I think I can. <laughs> yeah. I can let some of the magic <laughs> slide. Oh, Ian. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it was just like, psych. We won't use them after all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't want them. We've. Yeah. You know, no. We've. You I'm will gonna, use the Daleks. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> We've yet to mention the Emperor Dalek. Oh, yeah, he's rather magnificent, wasn't oh, he? Oh, well, I liked Wowzers, him. Yeah. 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 Great, great big Hello. thundering son of a bitch in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's got a bit oh, of nice. personality to him as well, and like yeah. his boring minions. He's got more than a bit of personality. He seemed yeah. quite, uh, quite testy, I thought. Hmm. Didn't didn't like the idea of Dalek autonomy or hmm. you know Daleks having the right to question his orders or anything. He seemed like a very. Hmm. Like a, Do you think it's because he's got a, an upside down chumbly for a head? I suppose <laughs> that's only going to bring you down, isn't it? Uh, hmm. He's nice reuse of a prop, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, you know, again. Uh, uh, I'm hoping they those guys come back pretty soon, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll wait and oh, see. It's only a matter of time. How many of the Chumblies stories we get? Uh, power of yep. the Chumblies, evil mm -hmm. of the Chumblies, <laughs> Wombly of the Chumblies, Genesis of the Chumblies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he's the uh, he's the regional manager. So all the Daleks he's, are like he's the, the middle the management. the Mr. Peterson of the Dalek yes. world. And he's mm. the person who needs to see the PDF that they're all frantically putting <laughs> together and make up some figures. Why? <laughs> and I can ima only imagine we had a, uh, a very spectacular battle between yes. the two factions of Daleks. I mean, obviously, we have to go by what we can see from the animation, but uh, there are some uh, film clips... Uh, taken from sort of behind the scenes and it sounds as though they had to use a lot of um, little miniature model Daleks. Um, oh, the so Louis Marx sure with been, the pointy heads. Yeah, so I'm not sure it would have been quite as spectacular as no. it's... Well, you know, out, they, remember the, the conclusion of the chase that was for the for the um, limitations of the studio and the budget, we we I think both good. said they did a really good job on that occasion. Yeah. So there's no reason to think that this would have been any less competently yeah, nailed Despite together. Adam's disdain for the story. Well, you yeah, know, like yeah, that. That's, you know, not, if you're, you're going to get not going to dwell on that. If you're going to get uh, these kind of grumpy <laughs> podcasters to join us, then what, what do you expect? It's 
no, a think, man yeah. of notoriously short shrift. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a very um, pedantic child as well, one of my pet hates was was wrong Daleks. Mm. Inaccurate yeah. Daleks. I, I spent oh, most dear. of my ch- childhood drawing Daleks. So mm. when an entire toy manufacturer just did a, an obviously mm. wrong Dalek, yes, that got my yeah. goat. That, um, what did you make of the um, the Cyberman with a nose back in the 70s? <laughs> oh, God, I don't yes. think I remember that. It was one of the 12-inch... The, the Dennis uh, Fisher ones, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you had the Doctor and Leela and the giant robot. Ironically, the Tom, Baker, the Tom Baker didn't have a nose, but they put that down to syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more relaxed about Cybermen because they can be anything. Daleks, mm. or Daleks have very specific dimensions, whereas the, the, the fun of Cybermen is always look, they always look different. So they if do, they want a they nose, do. they can have a nose. Let you're them you're have very a nose. right, you know. Yeah, mm. the, the Cybermen are very fluid, whereas the Daleks are mm. literally all about the design. That's mm. yeah. all, the, all, the, all the glory and the power uh, of the Daleks derives from the way they were designed. Um, so it, in that sense, it's quite odd that Terry Nation made all the money out of them and not yeah, But um, but but were you happy with the Dapol figures that emerged in the late eighties? I think so. I never had any, but I think they looked all right. Yeah, yeah. that five-sided console was lovely. Yeah, well, you can't. Have I had everything. a, I had a sevens Dalek. I was oh, well fancy. You. Was that the one with the little talking? Like a little record player in it. No, press. those are, they were the model kits. Oh. So they're about a foot tall, maybe slightly taller. Oh, good lord! Um, and yeah, you built them yourself, and it was really exciting. Wow. Yes, I remember when the show came back, and 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 suddenly you couldn't move for remote control Daleks in every shop in town. We had a, and again they'd have been maybe eighteen inches a foot tall. We had a, a black and silver one. Ooh, a, nice. a, a gold one, so I called them Benson and Hedges. And uh, <laughs> they were, for a long time, they were my. Instead of pets, I had two remote control mm. Daleks. Oh, very nice. In many ways, it was a sad life, but um, <laughs> we're not here to talk about my problems. Yeah. But you enjoyed I, it, and that's the I've main thing. Cut myself. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> please, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's pretty much done and dusted, apart from. Maxtable wandering about the place saying kill, kill, kill. Yeah, that's Which weird. Kill, kill. He's, yeah. he's, he's, it's more like kill, 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 kill. It's very fast. It's very weird. Mm. Yeah, it's very sort yeah. of staccato mm. uh, with a, 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 the overdub of a Dalek voice, or at least on the, yeah. on the cartoon there was. Uh, horrible, you know, in a, in a yeah. way. That's mm. quite yeah. odd. Yeah. It's also quite eerie. And poor old Kemmel. Yeah, he had to. Had to dive. I don't know why he had to, but they always do. Well, he's can't have him back in the next next story, can we? Jeez, he's the D eighty four of this episode. Is it D eighty four? Yeah, yeah. the number right. Yes, yes. yes. He was a, a gentle giant, mm. a, yeah. a lovely figure, and therefore he had to go. His number mm. was up from the moment he first appeared. Yeah. Please don't throw her suit Victorians at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in the I think episode one and two, you had, on the animated version, you had a, a number of posters on the wall that. Uh, oh yes, I noted those. That, that they would mm-hmm. walk past. One of them, one of them was for 
the cheeky monk. Does that mean anything to either of you? Mm. No. So, I have dug out oh. my copy of the 1996 summer edition of the Mayfield fanzine, which was... Oh, God, I wonder why you're going to say that. <laughs> it's going to be your, your exotic magazine collection. It was, it was written by a young man called Clayton Hickman with Alec oh, Charles yes. and Michael oh. Hazlitt. It's mm. largely too problematic to discuss. Oh, damn. Um, but um, one of the, the one of the larger articles in it is about this obviously fictitious TV show. Oh no, it's the Cheeky Monk, which starred Andre <laughs> Previn as uh, a cheeky a cheeky ecclesiastical figure, and it's got a little synopsis of all fourteen yeah. episodes and the Christmas special. As wow. episode five of series two was called Nun and Games, it's quite nice. Yeah. Uh, episode called Super Monk. Um, yeah. Other, I mean, the the best thing in. So was he solving all the right mysteries, but not necessarily in the right order? <laughs> he was, he was, he was in that habit, if you will, uh, if you'll yeah. pardon my pun. Mm. The best thing in Mayfield, and, and also one of the very few things I can actually read out, um, there's an advert for uh, a series called "Continued Existence Under My Guidance," Anthony Ainley's guides to life. Oh. <laughs> for example. <laughs> Uh, I may be seated. Anthony Ainley's Guide to Period Furniture. Nice, yeah. What makes you think I want your forgiveness? Anthony Ainley's History of Roman Catholicism. <coughs> There's a book called You Wouldn't Do This to Your Own, which is Anthony Ainley's <laughs> History of Social Services in the Orkneys. <laughs> and my personal favourite, How Gratifying to Do It Three Times Over. Anthony Ainley's Guide to Sexual Stamina. So... Um, <laughs> Something for everyone there. Hmm. I also wanted hmm. to just just while we're on the subject of, of the overall story and, and the plan that the, the Daleks, you know, formulated came mm -hmm. up with in a, in a 3 a.m. marijuana fog. I don't know. <laughs> they had this yeah. idea. There's so one of my favorite writers is Martin Amis. And um, yeah. in his book, The Information, he, he goes off on this sort of uh, explanation of how as literature develops and evolves, the uh, main figures in a, any species literature go from being, you know, the, the very earliest stories and fables in, in, in our, you know, human realm we have, it's all gods. And then, mm -hmm. and then after a few hundred years, we're writing about kings and then we're writing yeah. about ordinary men like us. And then we're writing about criminal people who are less than us. And, and there's a, a sort of downward trajectory of, yeah. of heroes. And similarly with, with Dalek plans, you think they, they start off and they've, they've conquered planets and they've enslaved things and they want to invade other worlds and fly them around the galaxy at high speeds. There's yeah. the huge master plan where they try and take over the galaxy. Oh, in this one, they're running an antiques shop. <laughs> oh, how are the mighty fallen? <laughs> Let's take over a mortuary. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, yeah, I think that might work. Mm. I just I just feel like maybe they're not uh, quite as well served as they could have been in this story. Hmm. No, mm. I think it is 
it's a little bit like some of the subsequent Dalek stories where they are there to be Daleks, but it's not actually much of a Dalek story. They're there to trundle in, boss people about, and occasionally exterminate them. Cheeky wink to camera, and then leave. Yep. Yep. No, quite <laughs> right, too. <laughs> I also um, was looking at some of the, the posters on the walls. This is uh, for people who are, aren't familiar with the animation in the first couple of episodes in contemporary London. There's, there are many posters on the walls of, of musical acts just in the background. Uh, so there's some real ones. Obviously, there's The Who, very prominently. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the big word, Who. Yeah, that uh, made me laugh. Also, The Move, which is significant if you know that uh, in the 60s, The Move's drummer, Bev Bevan, was often mistaken for Fraser Hines. Uh, if you've never if you've um, never seen Bev Bevan, I would recommend people uh, do a Google image search of Bev Bevan. They don't look anything like each other now, but in the 60s they were very, very similar looking to the extent that they would sign autographs for each other when they're out <laughs> in the clubs. <laughs> Uh, so that was there. But also we have made up... I, I think these are made up. I couldn't find searches... I couldn't find them on Google. Uh, Athos Dylan, Julie Xavier, and Nick Stick. <laughs> that famous nightclub singer, Nick Stick. Oh, I love that. Mm. Nick Stick. <laughs> That's, there's actually um, another little poem in Mayfield, if you want it, which is oh, sort good of Lord. about, about, um, about uh, Nicholas Courtney. It says, Courtney's cock, Courtney's cock, <laughs> that is what astonished Bock. <laughs> so, really is, really is a, a fascinating That's glimpse into okay. a different era. Mm. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think possibly the other thing I... Before we do, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm preventing the wrapping up, but um, it's probably been touched on before when you did uh, Celestial Toymaker as well, but this idea of the conventional fan wisdom of the greatest Doctor Who stories, which conveniently are ones we can't see, so mm. we just have to take their word for it that they're the greatest Doctor Who stories that there are, and this is, this is one of the, the, the high contenders for that. Uh, it was pretty much in the 80s, early 90s when I was at my peak Doctor Who fanship that it was Evil of the Daleks and the Celestial Toymaker which were the (laughs) great the great Doctor Who stories of all time and when I was watching um, episode 2 which I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen since 1987 I thought I would have done but it didn't look very familiar uh, so, so that's the first time I've seen episode two since 1987. I'm a terrible wow. Doctor Who fan, but I remember watching it in <laughs> in Panopticon, knowing that this was they just found an episode from the greatest Doctor Who adventure of all time, and I was sitting there, aged 12 or 13, trying to glean from it what made it great, because it mm-hmm. just looked like old Doctor Who, and I couldn't really tell, like it. There was, it wasn't suffused with a greatness that I could tell. It it didn't leap off the screen, so I was sitting there desperately, not desperately, but you know, really trying to determine what about it mm. made it the greatest Doctor Who ever. Yeah, I don't even think it's the greatest Trout and One with Daleks in. <laughs> mm. Yes, you may have a point, mm. well, but it was does- fine. That, that that does bring us on to giving it a score then, doesn't it? I think we should. And we'll come to Ian first. Oh, you're 
you're you're throwing out curveballs left, right, and centre. I am. I am. I wasn't expecting that. Heavens. Um, so bearing in mind I spent a, a good 20 bucks on this and I waited a month for it to be delivered uh, and it's one of the greatest Doctor Who stories of all time it's fair to say that my hopes were high and my expectations <laughs> yeah. were you know, nudging the ceiling and also I, you were slightly cross when it turned up I was slightly cross another you know, another two days and I would have been able to get a refund and not mm. open it um, so I... I, I think the story was dreadful. You know, the, the, we'll do two episodes in the 60s and then for no reason at all we'll go back to the Victorian era and then there'll be a chase where Jamie has to crawl up a corridor and open a door and then we'll go to Scaro. It was a mess, um, but it was a very... Uh, propulsive mess and it, it did get you through and I think had we watched it one episode a week and we, we've said this before mm -hmm. and we'll say it again had you watched it one episode per week in the way it was intended yeah. it probably would have been a lot more successful um, but I'm still only going to give it a six Gosh. Well, that's higher than I was assuming you were going to give it. But uh, me okay. too, me too. I'm I'm as surprised as you are by the <laughs> by everything that comes out of my face, but certainly by that number. Mm. Adam, what would you like to uh, give this one? My thoughts are quite similar. I I really liked the first episode. I really enjoyed just the Doctor and Jamie on their own. Uh, being Columbo and investigating and following the clues and that was really nice and seeing them in contemporary London was, was great and I enjoyed them being in that really brightly coloured nightclub listening to Dave D. Dozy Beak and Mick and Titch. Mm. Uh, Hold Tight was the song playing in the background. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed that and it was great seeing episode two again for the first time in <laughs> however many 36 years mm. and Patrick Troughton was amazing in it. The yes. scene where he discovers that Jamie is going to be experimented on and he has no choice but to facilitate this. And the close-up, he looks like he's almost crying. And it really makes you realise what you're missing in the other six episodes. Mm, yeah. You can hear him, and he's, he's compelling even in audio, but you're missing so much from his actions and his face. His face conveys so much, and he's so good at, at, at the close-ups and at... He, he is, I, I'm convinced just from watching that scene, possibly the best actor who's played the Doctor. Mm. Um, and I really liked a lot of the elements of the final two episodes. I think the middle three in Victorian England were a bit of a drag. I was a bit bored. I thought Max Dable, Max, was it Max Dable? It's yes. Max Dable, isn't it? Mandible. I should know these. It's, I, thought Mandib <laughs> I thought Mandible and Waterford were quite a dull pair. And all the other mm. Victorians were quite dull. And the new companion is is a literal damsel. I thought Molly was quite cheerful. Molly, I liked Molly. Molly was great. Yeah. She was... She, she was plucky. She was plucky and she had a personality. She put up with a lot of shit from that arsehole who kept on swinging from one mood to another. Mm. No, she, she didn't. She stayed quite chirpy. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Who's Molly? Why? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Molly was great. I think she should have gone yeah. to the TARDIS. I mean, I like mm. Victoria, but she she's a mm. little bit simpery and wet, whereas Molly mm. had personality, which is uh, which is a bonus. Um, 
So, I'm going to give it... I would have given it a six, but for Patrick Troughton, so there's an extra point. I'm giving it seven. But, like okay. you say, the plot is absolute nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's all fair. Yes. A uh, little bit all over the place. I like the stories that take place in contemporary Earth because we don't get too many of them, so it's kind of nice to have that touchstone to come back to what was then reality. It's now a kind of groovy idea of what the 60s was, mm. which is kind of cool. It's a, a favourite period of mine, so it's always nice to see Same those. Yeah, I wish we could have just stayed there. I would have been happy yeah. seven episodes of that. We should have had you on for the previous one then, shouldn't yeah. we? But never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it all gets a bit weird in the Victorian segment of it. I didn't really get much of an idea why... Oh, God, I can't even remember his name now. The, the posh twelve Arthur, who Arthur Terrell? Having, that's the one. I don't I really understand no, he, what the point of that character was. Padding. Yeah, felt felt very much like that. I rather liked Maxtable. I thought he was bat poop crazy. <laughs> and uh, obviously I like Mavic Chen and all those kind of characters. So, yeah, he was very much in that vein. And yeah, the stuff on Scaro I thought was quite exciting. I like the idea mm. of the two Dalek factions fighting it out, and uh, the Emperor was very cool. So on a very surface level, it was quite enjoyable. But um, yeah, if you really analyse it too much, it does start to fall apart a bit, as you may well find in one of our audio contributions in the old feedback that's coming up. So before we leap into that, I am going to give this one a 6.5. Ooh. Gosh, the old, the old the decimal, two, eh? Yeah, yeah. to crack yeah. out that. We're in trouble now. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, quite. He just does that so I can't guess the running order when we do the season <laughs> retrospective. <laughs> well, i got to keep you on your toes somehow. You do. All right, well, that's what we thought. Let's hear what you guys think of The Evil of the Daleks. You've got mail. You have. Thought I'd do it. That was so nice. Can we can we not drop in the, the usual one and just have <laughs> yeah. that? That was lovely. Yeah. Sort of a, it's like we're doing a, an acoustic set. <laughs> <laughs> so first up from me, we've heard from Camille McKenzie on Twitter. And Camille says, I was surprised by how much I loved this. I thought it would be just a standard Dalek story, probably a little bit boring, but no. It's quirky and unique. It goes directions I never imagined it would. Plus has my favourite line in all of Who. Do not feed the flying pests outside. <laughs> Do not feed the flying pests outside. Yes. You got it. Ten points off. to me. Good work. Uh, does this count uh, against my trip into the... Uh, can, I, can I offset my dismal failure in the... I, I think I'm going to have time to let you. Yeah, I'm going to have to let you because that was so... Uh, I mean, I, I bumped on that line, but I had forgotten it. So you, yeah. you clearly have excellent recall. So, yeah, we'll, we'll let you off. <laughs> uh, okay, and uh, thank you, Millie. Next up, we've heard from James Swift. And James has this to say. I like the ending much more than the beginning. The first bit is very slow. But when we actually get into the main Dalek part, the story is very good. Thank you, James. And who we heard from next? Ah, it's our dear friend David Kitchen from the Doctor Who show. Hello, David. G'day, David. G'day. Look, it was the uh, 1960s. 
<laughs> David says, I think he's a he's got a two-tweeter. David says, probably my favourite Troughton story. There's a depth intensity to evil which really sets it apart, and the adventure actually does stretch across time and space. The Daleks are properly evil, as they were in the 60s. Troughton shows how strong his doctor really was. A classic. Special mention of the cliffhanger to episode 6, which might be my favourite cliffhanger ever. Can we remember what the cliffhanger was? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it obviously left a massive impression on us. Oh, wasn't it? You, you, you will go back in time and unleash this. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. I prefer very, the cliffhanger for episode 5, which wasn't mm. really a cliffhanger, it was just the Daleks playing. That was brilliant. I thought it was mm. a clip of the uh, Italian Grand Prix where <laughs> the Ferraris rather comically bumbled about in concentric circles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lastly from me, we've heard from MTSM, who I believe is our uh, correspondent from Finland. Hello, MTSM. Uh, I think his name's John. And John says, 60s Dalek stories were more inventive. Pertwee's were dull, and then came Davros, who was interesting once. Evil is the cream of the crop. I'd love to see more of it turn up. We lose so much when we can't see Troughton's performance. So yes, it is a big one, but I enjoyed it. Ooh, uh, yeah, when I asked for feedback, I said, oh, it's a big one. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Thank you very much. Next up, we have this from... The legend that is Andy Moore. Explain the plan to me again. Having travelled to the Earth year 1866, we will take Waterfield's daughter hostage in order to force the humans Maxtable and Waterfield to work for us. Continue. Waterfield will then be sent forward in time a century and instructed to set up an antique shop from which he can sell items from his own time as if they were antiques. Mm, then Waterfield will lure the doctor into a trap by stealing his TARDIS from Gatwick Airport, which we know will be there, because... The doctor will then follow a series of clues to the antique shop, from where we will abduct him and his companion and bring them to 1866. Note to self, make sure the music in the Tricolor Cafe is copyright free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1866, we will force the Doctor to work for us to isolate the human factor. The factor that always leads to a defeat by them. To this end, we will make the Doctor's companion face a series of dangerous trials in an attempt to rescue Waterfield's child, and we will study and record his emotions during these trials. Why does it have to be the Doctor's companion? Because, um, his travels with the Doctor are made in the most intrinsically human person in the universe. Go on. Here is the very cunning bit. The reality is that we are actually seeking to isolate and identify the Dalek Factor. The urge to obey, fight, destroy and exterminate. We will then force the Doctor to implant the Dalek Factor across the history of Earth, making us the supreme power in the universe! Is that all of it? 
No, there's some other stuff like a bomb, hypnotism, manipulating some other humans, and a bit of racism. Explain the plan to me again. Well, what did you make of that, guys? That was very good. Yeah. yeah no, I yeah, I totally agree. It sums it up. It sums yeah. up what we were just saying over the last hour <laughs> in two Absolutely. Yeah. One yeah. minute. As is so often He's the way, I, I, yeah. I keep saying we should just sort of stop this and just let Andy do a, mm-hmm. a you know, a short sketch every month. And, and <laughs> you know, Mark and I can... We'll just can, chip in at the end and give it yeah, a score. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we must go on. Ian, who have you heard from? Why? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have heard from... uh, Now, this is one of those... I can't say the word metabilis or metabolis anymore because I can't remember Uh, which is correct and which is wrong. No, quite. Metabilis 2 says, Evil of the Daleks always tempts with Episode 2 surviving intact. So enjoyable, but it's hard not to get a sinking feeling when it ends and cannot continue on to Episode 3. Mm. Kemmel being pushed off a cliff by Maxtable's hands in episode 7 seems somewhat implausible to me and I wonder if his death was only so that he would not become a companion the Kemmel-Victoria-Jamie triangle might have been an interesting twist but having survived Scaro would Kemmel have been doomed to die on Telos like Toberman anyway, a sometimes overlooked but intriguing character so thank you mm, for that. Yeah, very good points there. Um, you should check out their podcast if you haven't. It's really good. Which podcast is that? Metab- That's Metabilis 2. The podcast called Metabilis 2. Yeah. Available at your, your podcast platform of choice. Mm, and WH well. Smith. And WH yeah. Smith. Good. Right. But not Boots. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I didn't realize that would be we've, silly. We've become an anti-Boots podcast now. Good <laughs> Lord. I, uh, of all the hills to die on, it's curious that <laughs> wow. you would choose... Crap retail destinations of the Mm. 80s. Okay, Philip Edney says, David Whittaker shows his mastery of Doctor Who once again. He understood the Daleks as well, if not better, than their creator, Terry Nation. His dialogue precise, his plotting faultless. His use of cliffhangers inspired. I I thought they said his use of coat hangers inspired, (laughs) which, you know, there's only so much you can do with a, a triangle of... Twisted metal. <laughs> the Bob Holmes of the 1960s. And he gave mm. us the Emperor. Bravo, sir. And finally, I've heard from 26 Glorious Years, who says, One of my first bootleg soundtracks, and coupled with the surviving episode, it became a source of great fascination. Love how it spans multiple locations and time zones London 1966, Victorian Gothic. The echoing corridors of Scarrow. Such a wonderful adventure in time and space. How lovely. I think we've been a bit harsh. We have a bit. We clearly have. We're a bit bad now. We are a bit bad now. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, thank you very much for that. And moving over to Adam, who have you heard from? I've heard from Camo Hatman at Austin 523555, which I think is a Motown song. Mm. Uh, This is a fantastic story. The human factor Daleks are eerie yet amusing. The Emperor Dalek is an imposing addition and their plan is a great concept. I'm so glad this story is animated so we can see it as best we can currently, though it is sad every episode is missing. Have I got a surprise for you, Camo Hat Man? (laughs) 
Yeah. No, I, eerie is a good, yeah. That's uh, the words I used about the um, human mm. factor Daleks as well. They're yeah. fun, but there's an eeriness about them, which I really liked. Mm. That was one of the, one of the highlights Quite for unsettling. me. Quite mm. unsettling. Mm. Uh, James Courtney at Mr. J.A. Courtney. I think you could argue that this is the first proper series finale with the final, question mark in brackets, end of the Daleks. Which is a good point. Mm. It does yeah. feel like it does feel like an end of the series finale. Mm. It feels very climatic and yes, like it's building towards something. And it should, it possibly should have been the end of the Daleks, or at least until Genesis of the Daleks. Mm. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll discuss that mm. when we get to it. Much as I like Day of the Daleks. <laughs> uh, and finally, from me, Tim at Tim Smith Guy. The Dalek Emperor looks and sounds great, and it's such a cool idea. Remember seeing a bit from the 30 Years in the TARDIS doc that did a scene with it, Heinz and Watling, that made it look so cool. Love that they brought it back, pimped up for the series finale with Eccleston. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think that's the yeah. lot. Lovely. Thank you so much for your feedback. And if you want to get in touch, we'll be listing all the various ways and means over our end credits. So, before you shuffle on out of here, Adam, it's time for some lovely recommendations. Oh, lovely! So, who's going to start the ball rolling this time out? Who would like to start the recommendations? Not me, because I've not heard this segment before. Crickets. Absolute crickets. (laughs) Okay, fine. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll start off, shall I? Go on, then. All right. I am going to recommend something. It's an Audible exclusive, so um, I don't know if you can just sign up as a one-off and download it and then cancel your subscription, but I would heartily recommend From the Oast House, which is kind of like a, a spoof podcast series from the genius Alan Partridge. Um, I have to admit, I probably fell off the partridge uh, wagon after the first series of um, I'm Alan Partridge. Really loved that, but the second one left me a bit cold, and everything since that has been... mm, It's been okay, but not really reached those heights. But this is, to my mind, the best thing he's done in absolutely ages. It's hilarious. They're done in a sort of podcast format. He's very disparaging about podcasters as well, which is... uh, rather amusing uh, but no it's brilliant I would very much recommend getting a copy of that if you can and I concur oh good and I can as well so mm-hmm. I will oh good Ian what are you going to recommend uh, new suede album so ah, um, yes. auto fiction has been available for about 48 hours at this point I've listened to it about mm-hmm. nine times I wasn't expecting very much I'll be honest suede are probably mm. my favourite British band maybe and mm-hmm. I like the kind of dark bleak moody orchestral glorious over the top stuff so albums like Dogman Star or uh, the more recent couple and this one yeah. is their punk album um, so Ooh. it's short, it's spiky, it's aggressive and I was expecting it would sound a bit like Coming Up which is not an album I particularly enjoy uh, but I was okay. wrong, um, it's wonderful and it combines um, sort of a more relaxed suede with a, a more sort of musically pugnacious suede so I mm. I absolutely love it I do like a bit of suede 
And Adam, what are you going to recommend for us? I'm going to... So, I'm a very mainstream, middle-brow sort of fellow. I'm a Beatles fan, for goodness sake. So mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing at all. Which is why I'm a Beatles fan. I'm fierce, fiercely proud of it. <laughs> uh, but there's probably not much I can recommend that uh, people wouldn't have come across already. So I'm going to prove that I'm really down with the kids and Gen Z. Oh. And I'm going to recommend a 20-year-old transgender YouTuber uh, who's a singer-songwriter and is probably actually one of the best singer-songwriters I've ever heard. And I've, I'm somebody who's very familiar. I'm soaked in 60s and 70s uh, music. And this is a, a singer-songwriter called Sammy Copley from Ireland. Uh, and his okay. songs are amazing. Like, I've... Because I, I dabble in the singer-songwriter thing myself, and I'm just absolutely mortified about how much better it is than, than me he is. <laughs> it is less yeah, than half my age, but it's that. absolutely wonderful yeah. stuff. Uh, mm. And it, it, you know, pe- people, possibly of our age or older, might often say, oh, all, all rub- music is rubbish these days. Mm-hmm. But actually, this if you look out, outside of the mainstream, and there probably is good stuff in the mainstream, but... yeah. You can find some really good stuff, so I recommend Sammy mm-hmm. Copley and his original songs. Oh. Uh, beautiful singing voice, really yeah. full of melody. Uh, mm-hmm. and that, what that sort is, of genre are we talking here? It's singer-songwriter it genre, so it probably sounds, I would say, the most like the 70s Laurel Canyon singers, so like Joni okay. Mitchell or mm-hmm. um, possibly in the vein of... Um, Randy Newman, all those kind of, you know, very mm. melodic, very tuneful. Yeah. Uh, very haunting, very haunting quality about his oh. songs. So, it's, yeah, they're really good. So, Sammy Copley is someone to look mm. out for. We'll get a link in the show notes. Yeah. And you can check it out. Great. Oh, that's marvellous. Mm. Well, before you go, you must give us a plug to what you've got going on because you've got a couple of shows on the go now I do yeah so my main one is RetroTube Archive Television Podcast mm-hmm. uh, and with the lovely Heather with the lovely Heather yes who couldn't make it she couldn't be here this evening uh, so you've just got the, the less exciting one <laughs> well you know we, yes. we, we may do you know it's fine <laughs> so we're on Twitter at Retro underscore Tube and uh we're really original and we have a an archive tv podcast but the premise of it is that uh we take it in turns to recommend and make each other watch a piece of tv uh, that means something to us such a great idea so although heather and i are best friends we actually are coming to tv and old tv from very different angles so heather's very into the old 60s spy show she loves the expensive Mm -hmm. glossy itc itc things these huge budgets and all the spies and the punching and bongos Mm -hmm. and all those things (laughs) and i love the weird creaky cheap hauntological shows from the 70s 80s shot on really ropey Mm -hmm. 16 mil film or videotape so we take it in turns and then talk about what, how we feel about it and what we thought of it and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's a fun thing to do. And we love it. Yeah, it's a great it's show. One, yes. of the, one of the most delightful listens that there is in the world. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. So the most recent yes. one we've done was uh, Pop Quiz, the 80s yes. Mike Reed vehicle, which was oh, basically Lord, just, yes. just an excuse for Heather and I to fangirl about Davy Jones and Steve Marriott and Giant Whistle. <laughs> 
but we've done the Persuaders, we've done Blake Seven, we've done Prisoner Cell Block H, uh, mm-hmm. all sorts. It's like we try and make it as varied as possible. We've done Doctor Who as well. Yeah. We've done a few Doctor. Don't Who. forget the Incredible Hulk. We've yeah, done the Incredible Hulk. The Hulk, yeah. In which mm. uh, Heather has, I think, possibly a five-minute <laughs> giggling fit. Yeah, Heather's <laughs> laugh is one of the the best things you'll ever hear. If you're having a bit of a day where you're like, oh, feeling a bit low and yeah. need something to pick you up just listen to heather Whack. and adam have a chat about some old tv and it will brighten up your day yeah whack on the uh, incredible hulk episode and heather mm-hmm. gets a fit of the giggles over me mentioning uh elks <laughs> no it's not elk is it it's uh, yaks, yaks. <laughs> i'd forgotten yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she literally can't speak for laughing for ages <laughs> And what's your other show, Adam? Uh, yeah, so the other one is a much newer one. Uh, I started it, so I'm I'm six entries into it. It's called Cardboard Cinema Club, so it's a film podcast, and it's it's mm-hmm. me with a guest. So this one's a bit different. This is uh, just films that guest and I both love. So it's yeah. it's it's a, a straightforward enthusiasm podcast. Uh, so mm-hmm. so far, the most recent one at the time of. Uh, at time of recording this, although by the time it goes out there'll probably be a few others. But the most recent one was Celine and Julie Go Boating. I've done Shaun mm-hmm. of the Dead. I did Hard Day's Night with Heather, so that was just an excuse to do another Retropod episode but yeah. on film. Uh, I've done Oh Lucky Man, Freaks. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's all the ones we've done so far. And uh, and they can be found in all the usual places. Mm, yes, yeah, so Cardboard can be found. Cinema Club, and it's got a bright pink and blue logo, so very easy to spot. You can't miss it. Yes. Well, that's great. Thank you. Adam, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. We've had a great time. And next time, when we come back, we'll be doing our Season 4 review. So until then, I was Mark. Uh, I wasn't. I was Ian. I remain Adam. And we'll be back soon. Cheerio. Goodbye, Duggan. (laughs) <laughs> Ta-ta! Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at mailbagofrassilon at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Time and Space Pod, and you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to leave some audio feedback, there is a link in the show notes. You can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback Or if you're listening via the Anchor website, you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music.